Hello and welcome to Eve Talk. I am your host, Chris Dufour. And joining us this week is longtime Eve's head field hockey coach, Alex Burrell, a 1993 graduate of Williams. And uh, then she came back to the school in 2000 and 2000. Was it? 2000. Yeah. Uh, to join us and has been coaching field and she had a, an interim year as head lacrosse coach as well. Now you played Alex. First of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. So happy to be here. Yeah. You played uh, lacrosse and field hockey here, right? Yeah. And graduated in 1993. Yes. You were an all, all American mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, at field hockey. As yeah. well as uh, when you graduated, the all-time leading scorer, if I'm not mistaken, I have all these little Alex Burrell. Well, I trust your I trust your your yeah. research. I don't remember. <laughs> Too um, long ago, Chris. So let's get back. You're you're from Wilmington, Delaware. You went to Tower Hill. Yeah. Yes. Um, talk to me about uh, growing up in Wilmington and and your involvement in field hockey. How how did that come about? And what age were you? Man, so, okay, so my, so the the crazy thing is, is my dad was a teacher at Tower Hill. So I was born actually in St. Louis, Missouri. I lived there for five years. And then we moved back to Wilmington, Delaware, where where my dad grew up. And my dad went to Tower Hill back in the day and went to Williams. So it's kind of, I don't know, I guess following in his footsteps. But he was a history teacher, football coach, baseball coach. And um, Tower Hill was a co-educational pre-k through 12 private school in Wilmington so I started off and I went to pre-k I actually stayed back in kindergarten so I had 15 years at Tower Hill which was great (laughs) very informative years but yes struggled in kindergarten they said I like to play in the um at recess too much you're a late bloomer (laughs) yeah exactly which I'm fine with and um I I own that now no problem uh but the crazy thing is so field hockey's very big in the mid-Atlantic and especially Delaware, sure. the Philadelphia area, Maryland, all that. So um, my, the at, girls athletic director. So back then there was a boys athletic director and a girls athletic director and the girls athletic director, Betty, Betty Rich um, has won many state titles and she started teaching field hockey in third grade. So I started playing in third grade and just loved it so much. I mean, I loved every sport uh, partly. I had an older brother and, I mean, not that much older, but I just, you know, sports were a big part of my life. And that was um, Mike. That my brother, Mike. Mike yeah. Rourke, who also went to Williams. Mike Hyde. Yep. Mike Hyde. Sorry. Mike Hyde. <laughs> Had all my names. Yep. But yep. yeah, no, Mike, Mike was um, two years ahead of me. And, um, but, but anyway, you know, I, I loved sports. My dad was a football coach. I always wanted to play football, but I knew I wasn't allowed because I was a girl, even though I'd play with Mike on the weekends with all of our neighborhood friends and you know those those sort of things so but field hockey um was just something i you know introduced at an early age and so when you we the beauty of tower hill back then and even now is we had gym every day yeah every day we would learn the sports and we were taught at an early age you know all field hockey basketball softball even though uh tower hill didn't have a softball team or certain teams we still learned all the different sports and that was, that's just how it was. And I didn't realize how spoiled, uh, spoiled I was until now with my own children going to, um, you know, elementary school and high school where they only have gym a few times a week rather than 
every day. Like we had it every day. Yeah, that's interesting because we went to to school in the same time period, and I went to school in New York State, and we had it three times a week. So yeah, uh, that that's really interesting. You had it every day, and, and once we got into fifth grade, when we had fifth grade gym it was like serious stuff. Like we had to shower, we had to go to gym class and then we had to come back and shower before we went to lunch. Like, you know, yeah. and they had someone standing there making sure you showered. Like, I'm not kidding. It was. Yeah. It was no, I, I remember that it was ninth grade for me when that started, but <laughs> I do remember that there's, there's a certain fear to that when you're a ninth grader or a fifth grader for that matter. Yeah. We started, <laughs> we started playing competitive sports, like against the other independent schools in the area in seventh grade, seventh and eighth grade. So it was like one of those things, you know, when we were in seventh grade, <laughs> We still brag about it. Like when we have our Tower Hill reunions, we were undefeated and unscored upon. <laughs> that, was, that was like a big deal in seventh and eighth grade. That's a huge deal to be unscored upon in a season. Yeah. Come on. No, it was awesome. I don't care what age group but you're I, at. I really think Tower Hill developed my competitive nature. Like I think I was a competitive person to be, begin with, but I just think, wow, it really helped bring it along. I, I guess. I mean, some people would probably argue that, that I was too competitive, but um yeah, that's. Well, I've seen you in some competitive moments. I mean, you're definitely, uh, you're definitely at the high end of uh, competitive, right? Yeah. That's why you're an all-American and uh, yeah, and the all-time leading scorer, Williams. <laughs> maybe. Um, um. So you're at Tower Hill. But great, great foundation, Tower Hill. Great foundation, not just not just Betty Rich, just like all the, you know, Tower Hill. You, if you go to Tower Hill, you had to play sports. I get sad nowadays that you know, these schools don't do that, don't require that of students. And I think students are moving more and more away from like being as excited to play for their high school or their school. And it's more about club. That was not the case when I was growing up. And I feel like kids these days miss out when they actually in, like would prefer to play for their club rather than their high school. I just think there's nothing better than high school competitions and, and then all your the student body coming together and cheering each other on. So uh, it, it was just such a great atmosphere at, at Tower Hill. And Tower Hill reminded me a lot of Williams. Like it was a great transition from a place like uh, Tower Hill where, yes, it was, I guess our, our phrase was multi-benefactor, many things done well. So it was really kind of encouraging students to be well-rounded. It wasn't just all about focusing on academics or focusing on sports or focusing on the arts or whatever. It was kind of like, no, you're going to do all of these things. Yeah, and that's perfect preparation for Williams. Yeah, and it, and I, I tell recruits this even to this day. It's like you know, if you're at this, if you're at a small school, you don't have to go into a place like Williams. You don't have to give up all the things that you loved about high school. You don't have to make hard choices. You can still play. I mean, I played three sports at Williams, just and that, I always say that was just to keep me <laughs> in school and keep. I just needed structure, and yeah. that provide the structure but but being at a place like tower hill where you had to you you couldn't avoid something just because you didn't like it you had to try it and do it okay and so i think that made a huge difference and that just made my um education it just made me love uh education because i looked at it as a holistic approach and i think that williams does the same thing you know it's like this great balance it's not always easy but you find that healthy balance of all the different things there are to to do when you're at college and in, in high school, you know? Well, there's two things that stand out from what, how you're recounting your Tower Hill experience. And one, you kind of expanded on a little bit with the uh, playing, playing every sport and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, having gym every day and, and getting exposure to that. But the other thing is 
um, you know, when you play it, when you're playing every sport, even if you're excelling in one, you know, there was no age of specialization back in that time period. No. And that, and that's something that's kind of taken over the high school landscape too. So you were, you, you expanded on how important it is to play for your high school team and how there weren't a lot of uh, club teams back then. And, and, and if there were, they didn't take presence over high school teams, which is my so, experience as well. But, but also playing all those sports really made you a better athlete. Oh my gosh. So I love telling, uh, you know, I was talking to Pat Manny about this. She was like, no way, but I played <laughs> against Val Whiting. Yeah, no kidding. Stanford. And yeah, we would play Ursuline. So they, she went to Ursuline Academy. It was an all-girl Catholic school. So I played basketball. I love basketball. I played, I was on varsity. I was a starter as a freshman. And I never looked back. I love basketball. In fact, I thought I was going to play in college. And I feel like if Pat had been there when I first came to Williams, she came my sophomore year. Yeah. Uh, I decided not to play my freshman year. Just, you know, I just didn't have that, the, that feel when I met with the coach and stuff. So for some reason... I didn't do it, but I just, I just think back that I'm like, man, I had a great basketball career and we loved playing, but we played against Val Whiting and they would always, they would pretty much crush us, but it would be (laughs) like our goal to see, you know, how, how much, how many shots or uh, points can we limit Val Whiting to? And then to watch her in these, you know, when they win the national championship. When they win the national title. Yeah. Pretty, Pretty cool. So. Well, what's your view on, on that? Uh, in these days, cause you're obviously you're, still heavy into the recruiting aspect of it. Yeah. Are you looking for the kids that specialize in field hockey? I know it's, it's kind of a specific sport or, or is it more of the more well-rounded athlete who has experience in field hockey? What, you know what? I really try not to have any limitations. I really try to be open um, and like treat each recruit that I, wherever I see them or hear from like, so if someone sends me an email with video, like I try to treat everybody the same and not, you know, have, because I'll tell you, and you know, this with the club club scene and recruiting, what, what can happen is anyone can play on a club team. They just have to pay the money. So I don't know where they fall on the team. So a lot of times that doesn't translate into their ability as a field hockey player. So I'm all for um, the kids that play many sports. And in fact, I'm, you know, Alice Lee and I are working and, and Gillis is great too. We, we really try to get these two sport, maybe even three sport athletes at Williams that someone that wants to, doesn't have to give up. I feel like there is this pressure now, especially on the division one level, which I understand, but to give up one of the sports that you've loved. Like I, if you had asked, so I played field hockey, um, basketball, and I ran track at tower Hill. And if you had asked me to give up one of like, it was never in my mind that I was going to give up a sport. Yeah. I was just like going to continue to do it because I don't know. I, I needed it. I just needed it. It was a huge part of my identity and it was also just something that gave me structure. I was a, you know, I'm, you know that about me. You have called me the Tasmanian devil. Like I'm just like all over the place all the time, very hyper. So the more structure something gives me, the better. And sports was kind of like that outlet for me in that sense. Well, okay. So here's the third, here's the question. What was your third sport at Williams? You said, did you, did you play a third sport at Williams? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, so originally I was going to run track, um, and so, and play back. I was going to do field hockey, basketball, and track. I never, you know, I, I, I've, you know, the first of all, now I'm mature enough to say it's like I never really loved track. I was just pretty good at it. Yeah. But I love the people. I love the people, and I love my high school coaches. And I, I'm, you know, it, I did really, I did well enough that so a lot of my 
times or my dis like I was a, a multi-sport track athlete. So, um, I, I sprinted, I did hurdles, I did high jump, long jump, triple jump, shot put. Um, I actually was so funny, which I just think it is funny that I'm the, I was the Delaware state champion in long jump. My, my Oh, you're kidding. No, no. What year? My junior year. Junior so, year. Wow. Yeah. So, and then I think I was second in triple jump and I, but I remember as, so at Tower Hill, I made varsity track in eighth grade and I did hurdles and I went, I'll never forget this. Cause it was a great experience. Um, so I made it to the, to the, to the state championship. I think I came in six, but I was behind this woman, Beth Webster. I'll never forget her name. Cause she was, she hurdled. They, they showed the picture like in the, in the new Delaware news journal the next day. And she was like two hurdles ahead of everybody else. Like all of everybody else is neck and neck. And she's, and right. she, and um, was going, you know, she had a scholarship to Iowa, but, but those were eye opening things to me. Cause I didn't understand any of that. I just didn't understand the whole idea of division one and scholarship and division three. Like I just didn't pay attention. I was so kind of self self-absorbed. I would say self-absorbed, like in a good way. I was just like, so into my own life and, loving what I was doing in Delaware that I never even kind of got on that path. Like nowadays kids are so savvy about sports and recruiting and all that. I was not at all. Yeah. So. Well, that's a perfect segue of where I wanted to go. So <laughs> you're at tower Hill, your brother's at Williams. Yep. Uh, how did Williams come on your radar in your self-absorbed in a good way life at tower Hill? <laughs> yeah, it was, <laughs> it was weird. I never wanted to, it's not that I never wanted to go to Williams. So obviously I'd been to Williamson. So my uncle, John, John Hyde, um, professor at Williams, professor at Williams. Yes. And like, you know, the smart uncle, the best, uncle. like, you know, you come home at holidays and you play trivial pursuit and you're like, Oh, well, whoever team uncle John's on, you're going to win. Right, right. So you always, I always associated Williams with like, you know, how smart uncle John was, but I, um, never really, again, gave it much thought. And then my brother goes there and I go up and visit him. And so Mike is, uh, you know, someone that I really lean on and depend on. I always kind of say he was my moral compass. So watching him kind of fall in love with Williams pretty instantly, you know, that, that made, and I trust him so much that I was like, man, I should, you know, and he kept trying to say, you should come here. You should come here. So I just, I feel like it was ended up, <laughs> it ended up being um, the best choice for me, but I, I really wasn't, I was just, basically telling my parents, okay, you guys tell me what to do. Or my guidance counselor at, at, um, Tower Hill, who was awesome. He was the, he had been the director of admissions at Trinity. Oh, wow. Years, and he had gone to Amherst. So we oh, were thing going back and forth, which was really funny, but, um, yeah, anyway, I, I don't, it, I like to, I like, I joke about it now. It's like, I didn't have much choice, but I didn't know it. Like, it seemed yeah. like that's what I chose, but I'm not really sure. <laughs> But well, did was, you visit any of the other Nescaf schools or any other? Whoa, no, 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 nope. nope. no, no, no Amherst. No. Oh God. Amherst is like a bad. So like, uh, it's strange. Like I can joke about it, but it's, I really feel like it's true. It's like, I, I always look at Amherst as a friendly rivalry, but not to my dad was not like, even no. my, my children would be like, mom, I could never go to Amherst grumpy. They call my dad grumpy. He would never approve. He would be so horrified. I'm like, well, that's just silly, but I guess there is some truth there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I think that I always had this image of Williams and then my brother kind of shattered that image, making it seem like, oh, this is a place I could go and flourish and 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 um, 
succeed. And, and so I, I think, I mean, I, and I'm, yeah, again, I didn't, it's, it's, I didn't give it that much thought. I was just, you just kind of going through the motions back then. I feel yeah. like I just think it's like different. It's just so different. Yeah. It's much different uh, now. I was, um, I was curious about when you got to Williams, you had what, two years you overlapped with Mike. Yeah. Yes. And how was that uh, helpful? And what did you try to kind of, you know, did you shy away from uh, the fact that you knew him or was oh, it? Gosh, no, he, no, 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 not at all. Not at all. Like I was so proud that he was my brother and I felt yeah. so, I always, yeah, we've, we have a very close relationship we did back then. And I feel like he always, um, he's just someone that you could trust. And he, he would try to give me good advice. I didn't always listen, uh, <laughs> but, and he, it never bothered him if I didn't follow his advice, but, um, he was very good at helping in, in guiding me, but in a way that didn't seem like over the top or pushy, you know? Yeah. So um, I leaned on him for like, what classes should I take? What should I be looking for? I just didn't have that kind of confidence in terms of, I felt like I look back now and I, I tell my team this all the time, you know, going to school here, I, man, I loved the professors. I, I had such a, incredible experience and I told myself I was never going to be a history major because my uncle was a history professor and he was work still working at the time <laughs> but that's where I ended up that's where I landed is that these professors in history department were so unbelievable well I think Tom Kohut's still here like some of them are still here but you know it was like Peter Frost and Ryan Duchin and D Dennis Dickerson these guys were unbelievable um professors and that's so I just think it's funny that I ended up being uh, a history major but again, it was just like listening, tr you know, trying to kind of lean on Mike for advice of, of where to go. So, well, you graduate, let's just, we'll fast forward to 93. You graduate from Williams. Yeah. And um, you're, like you said, you're a history major. What were, what were you thinking about doing and what did you do right out of graduation? I, I know you ended oh. up, coaching here. at Denison but when did coaching so uh get on your radar when was that yeah. something that became an so, interest so, to you so great question well I mean the probably the greatest gift of Williams College was meeting Chris Mason sure. like I couldn't have asked for well and it's funny so when I'm at Tower Hill my coach is best friends with Chris's Olympic coach Vonnie oh, Grimm, wow. and we used to go up our high school teams would go up in the summer to this place in the Poconos and play and Vonnie would be there. And uh, I think a lot of people thought it was that I was kind of um, making a bad decision, not going division one by going to division three. But, but Vonnie did, but Vonnie ended up calling Chris and being like, man, you're getting this player. And then, you know, Chris and I connected, but, but honestly the best, the, the biggest gift and greatest gift to me was Chris Mason at Williams because for so many reasons, but a big reason was, and I joked about this at her, at her retirement thing. It's like, she just made it look easy. She made it look easy having children, like having a career, raising a family and you know, she just made and, and balancing everything. So it seemed, and then eventually, you know, you peek behind the curtain and it's not that easy, but she's sure. still, but I still fall. I fell in love with how that looked and how I, how I wanted that. And I think, and again, like I am not saying when I peeked behind the curtain, it was it was bad. It was just more like, man, this is hard work. 
This takes a lot of effort. Chris might make it look effortless, but it certainly isn't. It's very taxing, and but it's it's worthwhile. So anyway, I think she pointed me on that path because I said, "Oh my gosh, if I could be some, if I could have a life like Chris, I would love that." Oh, and, that's so interesting. Yeah, and so then, because I, you know, I knew I wanted a career, and you know, I grew up watching my father be a teacher and a coach, and his passion for teaching and coaching was, I, I you know, I'm just like, wow, he. He just never seemed stressed. He just so looked forward to his job every day. And I was so envious of that and, and or so intrigued by that, I guess you should say. And then same with Chris. It's just like, wow, they just, um, and my uncle John would say, you know, I love what I, I'm really lucky. Not everybody loves their job the way that I do, that it seems to like, it doesn't seem like a job. And that's what I thought of with my dad. So I was like, you know, um, and I knew my playing career was pretty much over. And so I thought the next best thing would be to get into coaching. Um, you got invited to, oh, yeah. uh, to train with the Olympic team though, right? Yeah. Yes, I did. Yes. That was fun. That was fun. But you know, that's a, just a different, that, that was so different from Williams and, you know, very cut cutthroat in the sense where it was like, you know, I could, I felt like I could hang. And if I really had that passion to pursue it, but it, that passion wasn't there to be honest. Yeah. So, and I've, I've had that over the years with players that I've coached. I've approached several of my former players and said, do you want to pursue this? I think you have what it is. And they're like, no, I'm just, I'm really just happy with my experience here, which I totally respect, you know, it, you know, and I know Bill's <laughs> run into that too with some of his players. Like, you know, some people don't, that's not their dream and that's not what they want. And yeah, even though they seem like they might be suited for it. Right. The thing yeah, about Williams Yeah. The thing about Williams students is what I lose track of is just how many things they're good at. You know, like how many things are there? You know, I mean it's just like there seems like every student I know has like two or three things they could do, directions they could go. When I left college, I was like one thing I thought I could do, you know. But right. these people are are so involved in so much from the get-go. Yeah. That they have like three or four different directions their life could go, you know? Exactly. Well, and so when I graduated, I wasn't sure, but, you know, my, so my mom, my, my grandfather and my, my mom's brother were both lawyers and they both went to Princeton. Um, my uncle, he was Olympian in rowing for Princeton, you know, if, um, in, in the sixties. And so I thought maybe I'll go, you know, having the history major, maybe I'll go to law school, but I said, you know what, I should stay here for the year and coach and see how that fits. How does that fit with me now that I can't play? Because it's also torturous to be coaching a year out at your alma mater, knowing that you can't play, but you know, it didn't, it was, it was really fun. I had yeah. a, I had an awesome time and I worked in the admissions office. Um, and how long were you there? Just a year. Just one year. Yep. And then I went, I decided to go to Smith college. They have a master of um, exercise science. So for me, who I avoided science, like the plague at Williams, now I, was <laughs> doing, I was taking exercise, physiology, kinesiology, all these things that I was like, what? But, um, <laughs> Were you coaching also at Smith? Yeah, or? So that's part of it. That's part of it. You have to coach yeah. back then you had to coach two sports, man. What a great, uh, what a, I'm so grateful for that opportunity. It was so I've, I've made, I still am close to some of the people in that program. Actually, like um, my friend, Andy Whitcomb, she's the head coach at uh, Holyoke. Oh, yeah. Adrian Scheibels is the head coach at Bowdoin basket for basketball. Like you could name so many people are in different places and, um, and coaching. So that was a, that was a wild ride and super fun. And, and 
really what was beautiful about that program, which still exists, it's, it was really geared to helping you grow and become a coach. Yeah. So I, I think that was invaluable. And that was um, a, a great experience for me. And then I got the head co- coaching job at Denison. You went right from Smith to Denison. Yes. So wow. I was out three years and I got that head coaching job, which was a great job too. Like I, um, and I was the head field hockey and head lacrosse coach. But you were like 24 years old. Yeah. 25. Yeah. Something like, I don't know, Chris. Yeah. Something like that. I was but you're my- super young to be, I mean, even, yeah, even at the division three level, that's a young. I think back to that. You don't think you're young. Yeah. You no, the person in still- it never does. My players are like that. I don't want to go to grad school too late. Like if I'm 24, I'm really old. I'm like, that's not old. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I didn't know what I was getting into. And I, I would say like the thing I always joke about is, man, that first week of being a head coach, you suddenly are just like, oh my gosh, there's so much I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's a rude awakening. And then, you know, the only way you're ever going to know it is just by experience. Like it's just not, and that's the beauty of it. And it makes me respect, um, so many coaches that have stayed with it and that you can lean on them and it just gets in so many ways it gets easier and in other ways it gets harder you know it's always like that yin and the yang so i don't know i i I love my experience in ohio um that was yeah in both in both sports like i i learned a lot i had maggie and jude out there i didn't know the difference you know i i didn't know no one mentioned maternity leave i had maggie (laughs) in the middle of preseason. Oh my gosh. I took two days off not knowing. And then I went back out and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And I, (laughs) but I didn't know any better. Right. So many things in my life, which is so, I know, you know, it's like Pat Manning calls me Dory all the time from (laughs) Finding Nemo. It's just like, I didn't know any better. So you just kind of go with it. Yeah. You try to. Well, you just think like, I guess this is how it goes. (laughs) Yeah. And you, and, but you always landed on your feet. Yes. Well, it's because you don't know anything. You don't know better. That's the thing. And so you're just like, and again, I wasn't, I, I'm still like this. I don't want to give up any, my favorite part of the day is practice or games. Like, yeah. I don't want to give up that, those, that time. I can, I can make that work. So, but it was just funny because it was back then. It's just like, you just drag your kids to, to, well, at the time, Maggie was a tiny baby. I, I just basically wore her in that whatever baby Bjorn the whole the whole season not knowing any different right so they made the baby Bjorn for people like you yeah yeah <laughs> it was great what no. uh what did you how did the Williams job become on you so you're there four years I believe at Denison again it's so the the great thing is Chris and I you know again one of the greatest people ever in my life and will always be um is I could call her we would talk shop all the time about field hockey and cross she was awesome and then she just said, she's like, I need, I have not taken a sabbatical ever. And I basically just got approved. And would you come here for a year and coach in my place? And I was like, oh my God, like what an honor. I was yeah. like, but also how terrifying. <laughs> well, yeah, to leave a, a place you've kind of entrenched yourself for a one-year deal well, is Yeah, scary. I've been there four years. But to me, the thing is once I had, so I had Maggie and Jude by then and I felt the one thing I missed was my family, the ease of seeing family. So, and then the, like, I never dreamed in a million years that I would end up at Williams. You know, I just thought this is, that's Chris's thing and that's fine, but maybe I'll end up somewhere close by, you know, in another league. So, wow, what a gift again. So grateful for that opportunity. And she made that happen. And then, um, 
I said it was Bob Peck's last year. So he kind of ushered me in and then Harry took over. So Harry and I, Harry Sheehy and I started at the, on the same, at the same time. And it, that was George's first year, George, George McCormick, McCormick yeah. helping with Renzi, which was all, which was so fun. So, I mean, it's 21 years later. I just never thought that would happen. And then, you know, they, they split the position and then the rest is history. You know, Chris and I would just work together and it was so fun. I will. Yeah, well, she was your assistant for a long time. I feel like, and you were hers in lacrosse. Is that how it worked for, yeah. yes, for the rest of her career? I think. Yeah. Our yeah. whole. Yes. And, and you know what? It's like, even now, even when Chris isn't out there, I could call her, I could show her something. I could get her opinion. It was really, it was funny because I guess it wasn't funny, but she, <laughs> she retired. And for me, it was like a, it was like a huge void. It's kind of like, you know, like a Hallmark movie or a Hallmark advertisement where you know i was just suddenly by myself (laughs) you know and feeling for a while i really felt i was like i don't fit in i have no you know it's like one of those things where you tell your kids like make more than just one friend at work right right and i'm like oh i don't know if i did that that's what i did i always joke i always joke because i said pat i know pat loves me and likes me or i always just say she tolerates me i think she likes me a little bit more now too but um, and it was the same with Lisa. You've, but you've grown on her. It, yeah, it wasn't the same though as working with Chris. Like yeah. everything, you know, Chris and I could go for, we could do anything. We would basically have our office meetings in her car or we used to go to lunch at Chef's Head. It was a joke. Like they'd always be like, oh, they're here. And we would, we would do work and yeah. just talk shop all the time. So um, yeah, I've just, I, I, I felt like, wow, how incredible. And I wasn't sure how that void would be filled after she's gone. But, you know, I've, it's been good because I feel like I've invested even more of myself in my team and, and getting to know my team and building on that kind of thing. Well, back in 2000, when, when, like you said, Bob Peck was in his last year, he was hiring you. Did you come into the interview with a feeling like, Oh, this is my job to lose or. No, no, because it really was like, Hey, we're just hiring you for the year. That's So I think, but I think in the back, you know, I guess I, that's the beauty of Williams too. I think that, and, and Chris is just, they finally realize having, you know, times are changing so drastically that it's, it just became too hard to be a head coach of two sports. Sure. Like too demanding in terms of, re- because recruiting ramped up, everything just ramped up and it just became a different beast. And I, and it still had, like, I would say every 10 years, it seems to just be different. So, um, I could never imagine being a two sport coach and actually being sane in this climate, you know? Well, let's talk about, uh, you know, like you said, getting into coaching. What, what do you like, what do you think has kept you into coaching or, or drew you into coaching in the first place? What are some of the, well, the things no, about your job that you enjoy the most? Right. Well, there are a couple of things. The, the beauty is just like how much I, Oh, to the coaches in my life, um, from, from even from being a, you know, at an early age is that you just recognize you're like, wow, when you, especially, especially when you have a coach that shows how much they care and you connect with them, it can really, and and it's the same thing with a teacher. I just don't think that I was, um, cut out to be a teacher in the classroom. Like I felt like that, just that space itself. Like, I think I'm claustrophobic and be too confining. Like I need to be outside on the field chasing a ball or, you know, chasing someone down or something like that but right. i just think that the, co- the 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 coaches in my life 
um, opened so many doors. And also just we're always a source of inspiration and support. I just and, and even the coaches that I think I had some coaches that were, you know, hardcore kept it kept you at an arm's length but you still learn from them as well and so i just and and to each his own because what i've learned over the years is there's just no there's no one way there's no there isn't a best way to be a coach the best way to be a coach is to be true to yourself sure and try to be genuine and authentic in your approach to what you're doing um and so those are so i i just i've been i've just been so lucky and fortunate to have so many people go out of their way to help and guide me on my journey. Um, and, and coaches were the ones that stood out the most. And that's probably also because that's where I had success. I, uh, it was like sports came really easy to me and I had a lot of success. So when you have that kind of success, you know, that just is, becomes a huge part of your identity. And I think that's why I chose, you know, coaching over teaching and coaching, because that's where I really felt I, I, um, you know, thrived in a sense. Well, let's talk about the NESCAC and, and Williams place in it and, and the field hockey lexicon. Uh, what, when you're, when you're recruiting and obviously we can talk about how uh, if people don't know or listening, you know, the NESCAC is, if not the number one conference in the, <laughs> in the country for field hockey, it's number two. Right. And so you have a lot of competition in recruiting. What, how do you uh, go about not selling, but, uh, keeping recruits interested in, in the Williams experience in the field hockey way. Well, again, like, you know, it's funny. I just feel that I have to constantly be willing to change and reevaluate and rethink the way I do things yeah. based on what's going out there. And I, I think the best teacher for me has been parenting, you know, so I have four children and they're all different ages. And right now these, these last few years have been so special to me. And part of it is like, yes, these are incredible people women that I'm coaching, but I also can make these connections, I think, because I'm also living with people their age and can kind of have a better opportunity to relate to them because I'm trying to be a better listener. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to make sure that I don't get too anchored in my own views and my own thoughts. That's difficult for me. Like, it's like the, the ego part is hard. And so, you know, before you would just be so offended if someone didn't like Williams or if they, if someone like Amherst, over Williams or mid or whatever. Um, but I've just learned to go, no, you have to just speak your truth and be who you are. And I really do. I really try even harder now to present who I am as a coach. And I try to tell the, these recruits, like, it's important that you're a value. I'm evaluating you and telling you, yes, you are talented enough to, to come and impact our team or our program. We would love to have you, but I also need you to evaluate me and make sure that I'm the right fit for you. Sure. You know? And then all the other pieces. So it's, then I always say like, if field hockey fits, like if you know that you could play field hockey at any of these schools, take that out of the mix. What are the other things that you like? You know, Williams is such a unique place, just, you know, geographically, everything about it. I just, I love everything about it, but I also know, and I make it clear I'm biased because I went here. Sure. So it adds a whole new layer. And I don't, I think I, I used to get upset about the thought of selling it. Now I'm just like, well, you do have to, you have to basically tell these people what is it? You expect them to look at it the way you do through your lens. And it's not that easy. So <laughs> right. You, you kind of have to be creative and figure those things out. And I think the other thing that's been super helpful is, is getting this, your players involved is trusting them because 
these are students who's like, I, of course a coach can, I can present myself in it like in a 30, 40 minute zoom call, but like, why don't you ask these kids that are your age, the people that you're going to be spending the most time with what they think. And I think that's been pretty um, helpful and impactful into, into the recruiting. But, you know, I try really hard not to, um, again, just, I always want to be open to change. And also I, I struggle sometimes hearing constructive, you know, here I lecture my kids all the time. It's like, you better be ready for constructive criticism on the field. Nothing's personal. And I have to remind myself that as well. So I, I definitely have people that I check in with to say, what do you think? What do you think I'm doing here? What, you know, do you, again, the number one person I do that with is Bill, my husband, because he's the baseball coach. So we kind of really bounce ideas off each other and we have to pinch ourselves and be like, all right, do you have thick skin? Because maybe what I'm going to say to you isn't exactly what you want to hear. I think, I think as I get older, what's nice is I'm really fighting ego. I don't, I really, you know, it's, it's not, it's not easy because you, you know, to a certain extent to be in sports and be able to, you want to, you have to have an ego kind of driving you, but it shouldn't be that soul driver. And you have to be um, way more willing to kind of step outside yourself. And I, I feel like the one thing that I've started doing more is really focusing on building these relationships with everybody on my team. That has been a good distraction from them, just me sitting around stewing about my next game or did I win? Like I always say, when I first started coaching, we had a lot of success early on, like for seven years, you know, we made it to the NCAAs. We were, we won the NESCAC three times. We were in this, the finals six years in a row. And I think it was a disservice. I did a disservice to myself because I didn't appreciate what it brought. I just kept worrying about wins and those results. And I think that, um, so then when we kind of stumbled a bit and weren't, weren't quite the team that, that were the program that we were in that sense, um, that was difficult, but then we kind of picked ourselves up and we've come back into our own. And I feel like now my goal is, and I have said this for the last six years, is like, we're going to celebrate every little success we have. I don't care if it's just like, Hey, we scored one goal against this team and we won or, or, you know, whatever it is, we, you know, we get ranked in the, in the NFHCA rankings or anything or someone's player of the week. I'm like, we are celebrating that because I used to be afraid to celebrate it because I thought it would be like bad luck or this. And I, I've kind of abandoned those silly thoughts. I still have crazy, you know, superstitions and stuff like that, but (laughs) But, Do you think that's the biggest change that you've made over your career or can you, yes. is there, is there, I think, yeah. I think that's a big one is that to be able to, to allow yourself to appreciate the small things. And, and, you know, I think a big turning point for me, and I'm, I, I'm sure you've heard me talk about this, but it was really, um, I think it's changed my program for the, in the best way possible uh, is I had two players on the team whose mothers had stage four cancer and it really shook me to my core and it made, I just felt really um, phony or I don't know, to, to come into the team and to kind of try to motivate them and be like, you've got to play harder, you got to be better. When that was like in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's just so much more going on right. than meets the eye. And both these players were very different in their approach. Like one didn't want to talk about it and one liked to talk about it. So it's like you had to respect those boundaries and and it also just made me realize like we have no idea what these kids are going, what's going on, going on in their lives unless we take the time to get to know them. So it's like, here I am worrying about wins and losses when that's so insignificant. And it's much more about building a team together. And, 
And so we started doing this thing where, and this is, I always say it's before it became popular. You know, I'm obsessed with Oprah and I've been obsessed with Oprah since <laughs> I was you were a kid. Yeah. I mean, since I was a kid and you know, you know how they always say like, Oh, who would you pick to have dinner? I'd be like, Oprah, it doesn't matter. That would be <laughs> but, um, but you know, she did this thing on being grateful. And so now that, and now I've done a lot of research and I'm very, um, I'm a full, full fledged believer in, um, gratitude and, and making sure we, we are grateful every day. So we started doing this grateful journal, not journal. We did a, we just did a list. So every day we would meet in the locker room and we would write what, what everyone would write one or two things that they're grateful for. And sometimes we would share and sometimes we went, but I just felt like it made a the smallest difference, but enough difference that I, I don't know. I think it, I feel like it changed our whole program and the way we approach things. And it made us appreciate being together. And then it also changed just the vibe at practice. It's like no one would ever come out being negative or, um, you know, annoyed that we had to practice. Whatever. It, it just, it was just a much, uh, had a huge positive impact. And I feel like it made everybody feel a little bit better, even though they weren't necessarily aware of it. Like we didn't talk about that. Like, Hey, we're doing this for this purpose. I just said, we're doing this. I just think we need something else to kind of keep us grounded because these, and plus this, you know, that's the other thing I've noticed over the 20 year, years, these last, you know, 10 years, kids are really, um, they're really stressed. There's a lot of anxiety. And yeah. I, again, you, we could go off on, a, we could have a whole podcast on how and how it's, you know, wearing them. And I always say, you guys, you know, this, we're like a filter frenzied culture and we all want to look a certain way, but it's, but you guys, let's, let's peel that away and really get to the, to the, to our core. And, um, I think gratitude is a, is a great way to do that. And so we've kind of evolved and kept building on that. And so now what we do every day before practice, and we've, I've been trying to do it all through COVID and, and we've talked about it is um, they have a grateful journal. So every day they bring in their journal, they keep their journal in their locker with the pen, with this Williams pen that I gave them. They come in, we write three things we're grateful for. And then we go back to the locker, put it in our locker. And then we go out to practice every day without That's great. Yeah. Um, and we even bring it on the road when we have a game. It's well, that just sounds like a, a, a great uh, trick or club to have in your bag for team building. Yeah. Uh, and I know that that, like you, you already said, uh, that team building is probably the most important thing to you right now. How, what other things can you point to that are, that have been effective for you as far as team building? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you the, the, the funny, the, the funniest thing is that I think this was also me as a, what I, what I've realized is that I, I, I think I felt a lot of pressure to be a certain way or that coaches are supposed to be a certain way, or, you know, like you need to have individual meetings with the players all the time. And what I found is like, man, some of these kids don't want to meet. Yeah. Um, because either they're too, for whatever reason, they're just not that comfortable. And so it seems so forced and it seems so formal. And then also, you know, me, I talk too much. So these meetings would go on. And on. So, <laughs> I finally was like, you know what I'd rather do? I'd rather have team dinners at my house. So we started having team dinners and obviously I recruited Bill to be the, the grill master. Right. Cause he is a grill master. <laughs> we would have these Friday night dinners before games. And sometimes we would like, especially before Amherst. And this is where my superstition, I haven't done it in, because <laughs> we, we didn't win a couple of times. I'm like, we're not doing that anymore, but we would make up, they, they, we'd make groups and they'd make up a song about Amherst and they were, it was hilarious. It was really fun. But but what I wanted to do is something that seemed informal, but seemed 
Like, hey, I'm inviting you into my home. Like, I want you to know that I love you and care about you. And we don't have to do all this formal stuff just um, because I don't always think that stuff translates to wins or a better team chemistry. I just right. don't. And I think it also puts a lot, I think students then start to think about themselves rather than the group. You know, if we're always focusing on the individual and meeting individual needs when actually we're trying to be a team. Right. So I have found those sort of things that we do. And what I've done over COVID, which has been really fun, I think. Um, so when they went home at Thanksgiving, we did this thing called bring the joy. So everybody had to share that I assigned them different dates and no one knew who was up or who was going, but everyone would get a date and they would send something that brought them joy. And I'm like, it can be anything. Yeah. Well, I would say the majority of people sent pictures of their puppies or a TikTok of a dog, but, <laughs> but people were creative and they shared whatever they wanted to that brought them joy. And I thought it was such a way, a great way of everybody getting to know each other without it being like this big deal. And then now that, you know, a lot of people are gone, we're doing quote of the day. And I have been so inspired by the team's different, the, what each of them has picked. They have shared a quote that means something to them. And then they've gone the extra mile and explained why it means something to them. So it's like, I have all these amazing quotes. I have all these amazing um, examples of what brings them joy. And to me, it just, it speaks volumes way more than if we were just doing Zoom breakout meetings and stuff like that. To me, this is, this is like long lasting. And um, it just that, but again, it's more about, I don't mean to throw judgment on anyone else. I'm just trying to make sure I'm doing what I, what, what is authentically me. Right. And, right. And that's coming across, I think. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I want them, you know, the big thing is like, I trust is such a big deal. Like, yeah. I think that's what happened for me a lot in high school is that I just trusted my coaches I trusted my teachers as well, but it's like trust is such a big deal. So I'm trying my best. I, I think for a while, sometimes I thought, oh, it's you as a coach, you shouldn't get too close to your players because maybe that will ultimately hurt you when you're in competition or whatever. But I was like, you know what? That's, I don't believe that. I, I really believe that. I just want them to know that I have your back and I'm here for you. And I hope I, I hope I'm invited to your weddings. I hope you tell me when you have kids. Like it's so it's, it's just like, I hope we have a lifelong relationship. I would say the hardest thing I face is with players and maybe even some parents, like if they don't get the playing time they want, sometimes that, you know, damages the relationship, which is a, which is a bummer. I really try to emphasize and be open, like openly communicate how, how important it is that our relationship not be based on that, but you know, you can only do so much, but I, but I do think um, over the last few years, it's been good. I said, because, 80% of our season is practicing and being right. together. And I said, so maybe 20% of the season you don't get to play. Like you're not out there, but you've contributed to it. So everything we do together, you've contributed to it on the field, whether you step on that field or not. And maybe you're not stepping on the field now, but hopefully you will in the future. But we have to be able to build a relationship in step with like playing and, and not playing or playing time. You know, that's always going to, I just always think that's, and I have to, I also have to understand that that's just, the nature of the beast sometimes. Who well, I was going to say, I mean, that's a fight that coaches have been fighting for the, in the history of athletics. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's never going to go away. Yeah. Playing time and parents. And but, but Chris, we had, we had 31 people in 2019, which yeah, is I know. unheard of. And we had four goalies. And I just want to tip my hat is I, cause I said to the goalies, I go, you know, I thought as a coach, I'm like, I'm rolling the dice here. 
if this doesn't work out, like there could be a lot of issues with so many people and so many um, needs, but I think they were amazing and how supportive they were. And, and um, referees would come at, up to me after games and say, your sideline is electric. Like we can't even function. I, I can't help but want to look over and see what they're doing. Yeah. And the Wesleyan coach said to me, she goes, you know how we practiced? You know how we prepared to play you? We had, <laughs> we'd have one, one-on-one players, like two people, one person playing against another person to try to steal the ball. And another, the third person standing and just screaming at them. <laughs> that was their preparation. I was like, oh my gosh. That's a great testament to uh, to your program and how much enthusiasm the team brings though. I mean. Oh my gosh, it was, it, it is, it's, it's unbelievable. And so I think the thing that, and I always try to say this, my number one goal is to make everybody, or not even to make everybody, to let everyone know that you are valued. You are a valuable member. And it's, you have to, you have to be able to find your value as well. And right. maybe it's not the role that you want, but that doesn't mean you can't add value to this team. And, and you can't um, deny that I don't care, you know, that I don't care about you because I do. And I, I really am trying to also let them be wild and crazy. And, and, you know, that's the beauty of, that's what I love. Every year is different. There's just no way to predict. We can try to predict, but that's, what, and you know, that's what I worry about with Williams students sometimes is they want that, they want that blueprint. Like they just don't want, they don't like to make mistakes. I get it. Yeah. That fear of failure, you're, you're going to be paralyzed with fear. I just feel like. Well, really these four years are all about making mistakes. Exactly. I, I well, think that's what they need to embrace. You're so right. And I always say, you guys look, think how much field, everybody makes fun of field hockey. The whistle blows all the time. I go, well, when the whistle blows, someone has made a mistake. So. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot of mistakes in a game. Like you got to, the, the key is like, how do you get over it? How do you move past it? What do you do? And um, yeah, it's just, it's been, it's been fun. And I've been, you know, I, again, I look at someone like Chris Mason, Pat Manning, they paved the way. I'm like, I mean, their, their love for the game, like especially Pat now, it's like she, she has, she is just as invested and involved in her team and their, and what they produce as she was when she first got here. Yeah, I hope I I can hold on to that kind of, um, you know, and I'm so lucky to be surrounded by so many great colleagues in the department. And I I hope I work harder to reach out and find out, you know, learn from them as well. All right. Well, that's a great way to end tonight's (laughs) program. I want to thank my guest, Alex Burrell. You've been listening to Eve Talk, podcast for and about the Williams College student athlete. I'm your host, Chris Dufour. I want to thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Oh, I think that's the technology.